Welcome to Green Planet, Blue Planet podcast. I'm here today with Bo Milliken from Kijani Forestry. I've had you on the podcast about three years ago in January of 2020. Um, how are you doing today and um, what's been going on in the last three years, major years on planet Earth um, for Kijani Forestry and, and your projects in Africa? Yeah. Yeah, thanks, Julian. Uh, yeah, it's been hard hard to sum up. You know, I think there's, of course, what's been happening on a global scale that I don't need to reiterate for people, but just seeing, you know, on the climate side, I think more of an awakening to the damages that are being done and, you know, all the catastrophes has been devastating. And so um, I think there's things on that side. And then on our side with our, you know, company and our business, a lot of reasons for hope, which has been um, cool to kind of just be in that space of dealing with this macro level, um, you know, the world falling apart type of vibe that a lot of people have versus trying to give hope to the people that are being most affected by climate change. So, yeah, I think when we spoke last, you know, we were um, obviously we were three years ago in a much different space, but um, really on, you know, I guess for people that probably didn't hear my last uh, podcast, just Kajani Forestry is a company in Uganda. Um, and so we work, um, you know, we saw this problem of deforestation and rising charcoal prices um, because most people in Uganda use charcoal to, you know, consume all of their food to produce it, to cook, to, you know, do some heating. And so it really is a necessity of life that, um, you know, kind of through our development in the West, we have phased out a lot of the charcoal except for kind of the more recreational charcoal. But this is what, something that everyone needs to survive on. And, um, you know, I've been working in Uganda a decade now. And throughout my time, I've seen the price of charcoal over triple in cost. And that has devastating effects on people's livelihoods that, you know, People can spend up to 30% of their income just to cook their food, which is crazy, you know? Um, so with that, you know, we started Kajani, myself and uh, my Ugandan co-founder, Paul Muchibi, um, and then another uh, expat founder, Quinn Neely, um, in order to address the problem of the linked problems of deforestation and, um, you know, unsustainable charcoal by harvesting old growth forests and turning them into charcoal. Um, so with that, we you know devised a business plan to plant trees that would grow quickly, that could be harvested sustainably and regrown from the same root structure. So you're kind of taking this from an extractive activity like it normally is right now, where people will go in and uproot trees and completely leave the soils devastated um, into something regenerative that can produce you know sustainable income. So um, so I think when we spoke last, we hadn't even made this transition into what is now our largest part of our business model, which is working with smallholder farmers to um, provide the opportunity for them to plant trees on their own farmland and to do intercropping so that you have the trees and the crops planted next to each other and kind of the symbiotic relationship there um, and to do this at scale. So in 2020, we you know worked with um, about 150 farmers to plant 115,000 trees as our pilot. Um, it was very well received. And from there, that's grown to, you know, last year was around 5,000 farmers um, planting, you know, close to 5 million trees, um, or sorry, 7,000 farmers, 5 million trees. And then this year, we're targeting 30,000 households and 18 million trees in the ground. So it's been a, you know, quite a pivot. And just to see this explosion of growth through this different model that we've developed really 
focusing on the communities that we're working with. So, um, and even beyond charcoal, we've expanded to timber trees, fruit trees, and kind of boundary planting to preserve people's lands and provide fodder for livestock and really taken a much more holistic approach to our entire business. So, um, Hopefully that provides a little bit of context. To yeah, you. it's great context. Uh, it's great context, man. I think, you know, what's interesting is um, when we last talked, we we're talking about that nursery hub model and then, you know, like trees, but also teaching and continuously like um, kind of co-learning agroforestry planting uh, methods about, you know, biodiversity, because it's not just about planting trees, right? Like it's right. what I love about your project is, is, is um, you know, different things. One is. Um, the way that locals and expats are co-creating something that really has a scalable impact, right? And one is that the, the other one is that there's like a, a real problem. You, you mentioned the price of, um, mm. you know, of just of charcoal and and and, and the, the way that that impacts families and how you can like help people turn that around. But I guess you know the teaching aspect is something I'd love to drop in deeper and like you know what I wanted to get from this episode today with you also is just to really unpack how a journey like yours looks and feels and, and like how this can be an inspiration for people out there being like, okay, wow, this is kind of random for me. I've never even been to Uganda. <laughs> right. But at the yeah. same time, like every, if it's your own backyard, if it's your own state in the U S or if it's your own um, country, or if it's somewhere else in the world, there are so many opportunities to apply ourselves in this way. And so, um, yeah, where do you want to start? I think I, I talked about agroforestry and planting and biodiversity. Maybe you, you can share a little bit more about that and, and how that was really received by the local communities and, and what the reality of that looks like. Yeah. Yeah. Great questions. You know, so I think, I don't think our business would have worked 10 years ago in Uganda. I think what has allowed this nursery hub model to work is it we're seeing the effects of climate change in a very real way in Uganda. You know, history, like when I got there 10 years ago, you could almost like put it on a calendar, March 15th, plus or minus two weeks, you're going to see rainfall in Northern Uganda. You could plan on it. You would knew when to clear things. And it was just very like, that was, you know, people knew. And once you had the first rain, you waited a few days and then it was going to rain consistently. April's going to be the most rain. So you had this very consistent schedule that, you know, I was actually first doing construction in Uganda at the time. And we knew like, okay, we have a deadline of this because it's going to start raining and we won't have access to this. So, I mean, it was something that we planned around back in the day. And now, you know, the last three, last three years, the first season has been either completely inconsistent and useless for growing crops or hasn't happened. I mean, last year just didn't happen. And that's, you know, that's devastating for people that, have two planting seasons, two opportunities to make income, and you just take away one of them because there is no rain, you know, and there's not large scale irrigation. You know, we're working with households that over an entire year are making, you know, $42 for a household of five. Like there's, there's no like, well, I'll just invest in irrigation or I'll just, you know, pay for what, you know, this is like, this is sustenance agriculture. And so with that, you know, it can be a hard ask to be, asking these people to plant trees. And this is something that takes multiple years to come. But, and so that was kind of our perception going in that there was going to be a hard thing to convince other people to plant trees and to look at the income at years five to 10 with, you know, the charcoal income and things like that. But what we've seen and is that so many of the communities that we're working with 
are recognizing that trees and the lack of trees in Uganda are now linked to these changing weather patterns. And these are like, yes, of course, there's the macro climate change going on, but there's also the microclimate change where, you know, everyone's sat under a tree and it's much cooler, not only because of the shade, but it also like trees, cool things, you know, and right. They retain water patterns. in the soil. And like, if they're not there, you know, when yeah. it rains, it doesn't yep, be kept exactly. in the soil. It Soils gets run flooding, off. et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so, you know, we're working with like these farmers, even if they're undereducated, they're still very intelligent, right? Like they know their lands better than I ever will. They know rainfall pattern, all these things. And so, so there's this, you know, indigenous knowledge of what it's been like for forever and how this is shifting very rapidly too, and how that's yeah having devastating consequences for them. So, um, so it's, you know, we've, we've been around enough nonprofits and things and projects and initiatives where people come in and say, Hey, plant this tree or change the style of agriculture. And it's going to change your life. And they do a training and then they come back a year later and no one's implemented it. And they're like, why didn't you do this? We told you it was going to change their life. And it's like, these are people's livelihoods. They have to feed their families. And if this fails, of course, they're like not going to do this just because you said this. So, so being with them and looking at all aspects of this and, you know, like one of our big, you know, one of our key components to our model is that we have, you know, we have, over 100 employees that live in these communities and they're working with all the people within the community. So it's not people from the outside coming in and telling them what to do. It's like, no, no, I'm, I'm here with you and I'm living in these communities and I'm going to be right, you got like over 60 field coordinators, people that are like in the field, helping people like implement these changes. Right. And I mean, yeah, not, not to interrupt too much, but I, I'm really curious about like the specific application of, agroforestry versus and like you know syntropic foresting um versus just you know growing trees because this is yeah. such an easy thing to say right and as you said said for someone whose livelihood is to connect to it it's like well growing trees will take years and i need food on the table but then syntropic foresting is really like kind of the antidote to all of that and yeah yeah and it's you know it's there's been a ton of, ton of learning you know and what we found in 2020 is that we we didn't encourage intercropping because a lot of the farmers we work with have additional land. And so it was like, well, this is my crop land. And then I'm going to plant trees back there. And just seeing the survival rate of the trees um, that were intercropped of, for multiple reasons. One, of course, like the symbiotic relationship, but also two, just like purely labor to keep this weeded and to make sure you're looking at that. Like farmers will always and should always focus on the crops to feed themselves, you know, as like their main, that's their source of income until we can actually provide a source of income with these trees. But, um, but seeing that there was that, yeah, what, that there was a healthier, you know, crop yield along with the trees that, you know, providing this additional soil to keep the, um, or sorry, the additional, you know, cover to keep the soil um, intact and, cooler and that there was these additional benefits, you know, beyond just, you know, less labor to manage this, that there were, there were actually these tangible benefits that we saw and it was, you know, wildly different survival rates. It was like 90 plus percent for intercropping and 50 to 60 for that. It's also very difficult in 2020 to start a <laughs> business model that <laughs> involved meeting in groups with outsiders. That was 
not generally <laughs> received super well. So um, had our other other challenges there as well. But but yeah, really. And so with that, kind of getting into different um, intercropping pairings of okay, if we plant this leguminous trees that can work well with maize, and then how many growing seasons of maize do you have on this field because you need you know need enough light for it to shoot above this and kind of working out those details. And we're still, I mean, there's so many combinations of what crops are growing and trees and we're trying to add more species. So by no means do we have this all figured out, right? But we're trying to learn and we want to learn and we want to adapt. You know, we're, so now we're working over 15 districts within Uganda. So, you know, probably takes 15 hours to get from our furthest nursery hubs away from each other and have very different climates and we do have different, you know, elevations we have different soil types and right. so not you know there's a just there's trying, a to, beauty trying to learn in how what you just said about learning there's a beauty in, in what you just said about we don't actually claim to have it all figured out i think the difference between this like top-down approach of like here are the world global goals and everyone needs to implement this is that it's, it's just completely you know foreign to the actual reality of how people live yeah. and sustain themselves on the ground and then i've you know, recently experienced this um, in, in the Altiplano of Brazil and as like a very, very powerful and positive um, way of how it was implemented through syntropic foresting as well. It's, mm -hmm. it's like get the local community that actually ends up eating this food and that it gets to benefit right. most from those actions to be involved and then see how, you know, it really comes down to the learning process. It's not so much about do this and that's right. going to be right. It's more about, well, we as a species are probably for the next decades going to be relearning how we relate to our food yeah. cycle, what ecosystem restoration really means. And, you know, with the limited experience that I have personally, I can, I can say that every time I have my own hands in the dirt somewhere in the world, that's where mm. my real knowledge starts to increase. It has very little to do with yeah. understanding it intellectually. Kind of a, yeah. a, a funny thing when we're talking about it in a podcast. But I think the idea here is that we know that many people who are tuned in and many people around the world are, you know, making those experiences over the last few years, are realizing mm. that like hands in the, in the dirt is actually one of the best things we can do. And so... I find it interesting that we, we come back to this idea that we're not actually on top of things. We don't have to figure it all out. But the moment we start applying ourselves, the learning itself happens, which then kind of catalyzes everything else. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you said it all so well. It is, you know, it's, as we kind of did some soul searching as a company, you know, we decided one of our core values has to be learning because let's say we find the perfect solution for this year. Great. Five years, that may not work. You know, like just whether that things are changing. And so, and we're, you know, expanding and people's needs will change. And, you know, maybe there's more of a emphasis on Moringa than there has been in the past where that's been something that's, you know, it's this amazing tree that has been tried to, you know, people have tried to push that in Uganda to adopt as part of the food. And it's just not, hasn't worked, you know, but maybe that'll shift and there's, could be some amazing benefits from that because it's such an amazing tree. But again, you know, coming in and telling people, here's your solution. It's, it just can't be, even if it is maybe, maybe even if it is better for people, you know, it's the same thing. Like we can't, <laughs> we can't make any different assumptions of how people are going to interact with that in mm. Uganda than in America, right? Like we do things that we know are dumb for ourselves and we continue to do it. Like, 
fast food industry, soda, like fill in the blank. We know that's bad for us and we know there's better solutions, but like that's what we're used to or that, you know, so I think so, so often we can, we being, you know, maybe the West can bring our ideas and say, why don't they do this? And it's like, it's an equal conversation on the opposite. Why don't you do this? Totally. You know, you have how many thousands of private jets flying into cop and to talk about basically climate inaction. And with all of that, you're like, don't we understand how silly this is to a degree? Like you guys are trying to solve this. Why don't you stop doing this versus telling us to do this when we're the ones causing this climate change? And you're the one suffering from it, you know? So it's, it's, it's just kind of funny how we just hold different standards for different people groups based on power dynamics versus, you know, experience, knowledge, all these different things. Yeah. And I think it also comes, comes really with the, the world we've, many of us have grown up in, which is a a globalized view on, you know, things that are globally interconnected, no question, but then also are locally just so different. We just already said that, right? So it's like when you empower yeah. local communities and you're part of them, um, it doesn't really matter what people flying with jets to COP are deciding or talking about because what matters is that the, the, the local empowerment and the local action that creates resilient communities and forms of trade that are ultimately superior to anything that happens on our yeah. cell phones. Um, I'm really curious here about your personal journey, Bo, because I know that you've been in this, you said it for like a decade now. Um, you know, you're originally from the States. You you fell in love with Uganda. There's like a, a, a deep passion and purpose calling you. Um, I guess I'd love to unpack that journey a little bit for everyone who's, who's tuned into that and who's maybe also like a bit of a nomad or a world traveler or has uh, their heart in different places. But first of all, I want to ask you like, what makes you stay in it? Because I'm sure there's been many moments when you're like, fuck, like, <laughs> I could, I could just walk away. This is not even, this is not even my turf. Like what makes you stay in it? Yeah. 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 That's a really, it's a great question. I mean, so, you know, in, in university I studied chemical engineering, so it makes no sense at all that I'm doing entrepreneurship in nature-based solutions in Uganda. Right. Um, I think for me, it's been getting really excited about opportunities for change and, and just taking the next step in that, you know, I think that's always something that I think about is every, you know, so much in the world is daunting, right? And whether that's something that seems more achievable for you, or, you know, if it's a large goal, like switching everyone off of gas powered cars to EVs, if whatever your goal may be, it's this incredibly complex thing that it always has to start with the first step. And it's, I'm generally an overthinker. So this is me speaking to myself, but it's always been, well, what, what seems like the best next step, you know? And so, yeah. So, you know, I was working as a chemical engineer, um, after college and had this opportunity to go to Uganda and manage construction. And I grew up doing construction had so much to learn when I got there and tried to approach it with, you know, a humility of saying, Hey, I'm, I'm here to learn from you guys. And I want to learn how to do this better. And if there are skills that I can bring to do that at that point, you know, so so that's kind of how I first got over to Uganda 10 years ago. Um, And so 
at that point, you know, was managing construction of a school for an organization, um, did a good enough job that uh, other people wanted to hire me as well. But I was like, was instead of me being this person that can do this thing, like, let's create a company that can take this on that creates sustainable jobs for all these people that we've already been working with that are incredibly skilled. So let's start there and then make this something sustainable that doesn't rely on me. And, you know, almost eight years later, that company is still going strong. I'd have to do very little because all, you know, we just keep hiring smart people to do the work and I just keep, you know, giving them thumbs up and hanging out with them and getting to celebrate them doing a great job. And um, yeah, just trying to find ways to, you know, work alongside, learn from people to empower people if there are things that I can bring to the table. But um, yeah, so that's been, that's how I kind of started this, you know, winding journey from uh, chemical engineer into Uganda into entrepreneurship, and then really looking at, like, what are the, I think the sustainable portion of a successful business was pretty key into my journey of how I wanted to build Kajani. You know, I think there, there are times where the nonprofit model makes sense, but this is already a business that's, you know, charcoal is a business that people are making a lot of money doing it very, you know, poorly and very shady and all, all these things. But for us as a company saying, if there's a business opportunity that we can have something sustainable, that's regenerative, that empowers local communities, that replaces old growth forests from being cut down, like that's worth pursuing, you know? And yeah, it's been extremely difficult, you know, and will continue to be extremely difficult. It's, we have not made it, you know, we're, we're in the process, but we're also a very driven company. We're expanding to Kenya. We're getting into different kind of business divisions and ways to protect forests, to regrow forests, to, um, you know, regenerate harvested, you know, trees for charcoal to, um, there's, you know, it's an interesting side, side tangent, but we're looking at getting uh, a gum product from trees that are being cut down for charcoal, because if we can assign, or if we can get some value out of a living tree, that's worth more than cutting that down and turning it into charcoal, then those trees will survive, you know, so it's trying to see all the different ways and really look at the, the core problems of why trees are being cut down, you know, people are not cutting down trees, because they hate trees, it's they see a value in they see not a dollar sign, the right? And it's a, a traditional yeah. industry with 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 a lot of lobby and power behind it, and and there is yeah. a need for for that product in the way the world is currently run as well. Um, yeah, yeah. This is the yeah. same all over the world. I mean, it's the same if you right. go to British Columbia, if you go to Brazil, or if you go to you know in any country in Africa too. It's it's like we we see nature through the lens of dollar bills in our current economic system, yeah. and you know. I don't want to say it's good or bad, but it, it certainly has more effects to it. There's like, there's a deeper value in, in all living things. And so being able mm -hmm. to label them and address them, uh, I think it sounds to me over and over in these conversations that in our, in our generation, which kind of seems to be like a transition generation from like really outdated uh, models of running the world and really destructive models of running the world. Um, it's about these sidesteps to understand, okay, Little by little, incrementally, we, we can we can bring into reality ways of doing business, ways of empowerment, ways of, you know, 
yeah like treating nature as nature treating ourselves as nature that then actually long term have massive amounts of ripple effects and also massive amounts of um kind of like they're the new jumping off place right like if if our generation is here to to deal with some of the difficulties like hopefully we're we're setting the world up yeah. in a way that it you know it, it starts to be a thriving planet rather right. sooner than later but also that anyone who comes after us or anyone who you know if you're listening to this podcast and you happen to be from from uganda like or kenya like those are those are projects to get involved in right because it's like a huge opportunity to continue to co-create something together yeah yeah i mean that's you know you make a really good point like this is the, the, this is the current system you know we could pretend like it's not the current system we could hope for something better and of course we do but that doesn't change that there's a lot of times no dollar value assigned to nature existing and that is the basis of so many problems you know yeah. um and so yeah we can either complain about that or we can do our best to try to do something about it and um yeah and that's there's there's a spite you know there's a spot for both of that there there needs to be the people that are bringing light to this problem and, you know, protesting at COP or wherever that may be about, you know, our economic system. But then we also need to do something about it. You know, like, let's say that, you know, like, for instance, like Kenya has put a ban on producing charcoal. Sounds great and pro-environment. Like, guess who's supplying Kenya's charcoal? Like, they didn't stop using it. Uganda is now exporting to Kenya. So, like you know we we didn't solve the problem we like saw a symptom of the underlying problem and mm -hmm. like oh that's bad let's ignore this and then just shifting the problem you know and fast forward 10 years when uganda doesn't have any trees left like guess where uganda's going to get their charcoal from from congo and it's so we just we have to address the underlying solutions and well this is one of the the beautiful elements about you know having you on as well is that this um, kind of push-pull effect of, you know, short-sighted um, symptom fixing or band-aids for symptoms. It's so obvious to people that are working on the ground and have their hands in the dirt or have their, have, you know, like their, their staff that is just like comes from local communities because in the end of the day, like what we need are resilient communities that can provide food and can, you yeah. know, create basically grow the forest i mean this is something that keeps coming up for me over and over um in in the context with brazil and my work with indigenous people there it's like the more we look into the origin of the amazon forest the clearer it gets that there have been millions of people living in that forest they were growing mm -hmm. that forest actively as a syntropic forest right. it's not just right. that there's like a forest and then there's humans no like there's a symbiosis between those two elements and we as humans are stewards of the planet so we as humans also are here to grow the forest and that doesn't apply right. only to the past it, it applies 100 percent to the now and it's like you know do we want to just become these technological beings that like do everything on their phone phone screen or you know not, not i'm not entirely only against this but it seems a bit of a destructive direction or are we actually aware that you know we are totally in power to create healthy waterways to create uh, you know a thriving yeah. green and blue planet yeah yeah i mean absolutely you know even if nature itself can do a better job of over 
centuries creating this beautiful biodiverse forest. There's no reason we shouldn't try to replicate that and not to do it in a way that says, this tree grows the fastest. Let's plant only this tree for carbon sequestration sake and create basically a dead forest of mm. carbon versus, hey, let's actually look at planting biodiverse trees that feed local ecosystems that are native, indigenous, that, um, yeah, sure, they sequester carbon, but also what other benefits do they have? Because this is this has to go beyond carbon. If our, if our whole, you know, solution to climate change is, you know, removing carbon from the atmosphere, I mean, that's where you get to crazy ideas like direct air carbon capture that are just like completely insane. You know, like anyone that runs the actual numbers of doing that on scale is like, like just the fans to run those machines at the scale that we're doing take, you know, I think it's like 30 to 40% of the world's total world's like energy usage just to run the fans, let alone anything else. And it's like, and that's, that's a lot of people's hopes for climate change is like this technological solution, you know? And so it's, there's, there's so much of, there's so much reliance on technology as, cause it has been the thing that has fixed a lot of our problems in a lot of people's at least you know, in our perception and in the storytelling exactly effort, right like this is the thing that right um that becomes so apparent in conversations like this when you know we you've definitely made a lot more experience and um have have you know directed a lot of change on the ground in regenerative and and agroforestry ways but i've i've made a lot of experiences myself in different projects and i'm realizing like that is the path forward like it's about ecosystem restoration projects that are you know they they don't even need to be on the news like it doesn't it doesn't really matter like as long as 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 we're stepping away in in batches of people from waiting for the answers to come through technology i think that there's you know we don't have to be that pessimistic actually it, it, it's also about resiliency right like if you're entirely um if you're living in a city and you're entirely um yeah, you're living in a food desert and you're completely dependent on that chain to continue to work. Now, that's a bit of a scary scenario. But if you're yeah. able to, in one way or other, uh, have resilient practices on the ground, in, in doesn't even need to be in your own community, but within your neighboring communities, life's not that bad, right? Like life's actually yeah. beautiful. And from from the kind of, you know, globalization perspective of like, what is what is progress and technology is always progress having grown up in Central Europe and, you know, having lived in North America for a long while, I don't actually think that that's true. And I think we need to demystify mm -hmm. those those myths that everything technology is progress. Like I, we, we're seeing declining health, declining sperm count, all of these things in our modern species because we're so disconnected from our physical yeah. bodies and from the health of our physical bodies on the planet. And so I think that stuff is becoming so visible to so many people. And the answer, at least to me, keeps pointing back to like, true ecosystem restoration or what i said about the amazon a few minutes ago like growing the actual forest it's um yeah yeah, yeah. I, I guess i have a question there for you too is like people tuning into this um how can they support kijani how can they get their you know literal hands in the dirt or what do you tell people when they're like how can i do this in my own way where i live like what are what are your answers for those kind of questions yeah yeah i mean if there's anyone that is excited about actually working with us, we're always trying to look for really talented people with skills. And like I said, we're always trying to learn and have 
an infinite amount of things to learn in this process. So yeah, I mean, if anyone is actually interested in working with us, you know, um, in a career, moving to Uganda, changing your life, you know, we're always looking for people. So um, you can always email us, I guess we could probably put the link in the show notes or something like that. But um, yeah, I mean, outside of that, it's, you know, it's funny, we're, we're not, we don't run off donations. So I, there, there's amazing other organizations that would do really well with your donations. I mean, I think one of my favorites is uh, it's called the Inga Foundation and just this wonderful organization that's underfunded that is, you know, they, they have some amazing academic research showing that through this ecosystem that they've done that they're able to, even without rain, grow crops in drought because of how much they've enriched these soils and created this micro climate under these trees. And um, yeah, big fan of their work and um, yeah, plenty, plenty of others. But, you know, I think, I think in terms of what, you know, I, first of all, I don't know if people should even listen to me of what my message would, would be, you know, but what I would encourage people is like this, you know, climate change and ecosystem degradation, all of that is extremely daunting. So I think it is about, yeah, taking, taking a small step and finding something you are passionate about in the space and, you know, being willing to maybe shift a career, maybe volunteer time or do something that's going to be, that you're going to be proud of doing as the world kind of changes that you can look back and being, yeah, just being happy, happy you Boom. That's, took a, that's part a powerful that. sentence. Do something that you're proud of doing. Because that outrules a lot of the things that people are yeah. doing just for the sake of or the paycheck or the future pension or, or making their parents proud. Like it's a very different thing if yeah. you follow your own inner compass. And, you know, I've been saying this for years and been, been teaching this for years too, because it's so true. Like we don't have to figure everything out on a mental or intellectual level. But if you follow your own inner guidance that tells you like, get active here, you'll be massively proud and you'll be learning a whole bunch about life. Very likely. This is a very good thing to do. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, uh, sure. Retirement, if that's your thing, sure. You know, but that's, it's such a foreign concept for me. I'm like, like <laughs> four years thing. off. What is the, what is the world going to look like then? And I'm going to be happy that I own a home in Florida and can golf every day. Like that sounds like my nightmare, you know? <laughs> so <laughs> I'm just like, and not saying that that shouldn't be your goal, but just saying, is that like, is that what you're going to be proud of when you've, you know, look back on your last decade and, um, you know, and I look back on my last decade and have made so many mistakes and could have started mm -hmm. Kajani earlier, done all these things, but like very proud of taking the steps that I have and not saying that I've even taken the right steps, but just like glad that I've done that, you know, was looking at kind of going back to a more corporate job after um, a period of work, but just found that this is, this is the thing, you know, and this is yeah. what I'm going to look back and, you know, regardless of how quote unquote successful this is as a business, if this is something that has opportunity to improve just a few lives, you know, that that's something I can be proud of. Yeah. Brilliant, man. I, I love it because what I hear you say is you're on the journey and that's why I wanted to have you back on because, you know, apart from all of the amazing uh, things you shared about Kijani and where the project is at and like how it's been developing and like all of the pieces and steps to it that are interesting, 
I think it's really, really empowering, um, including for me personally, to continuously hear that when people are on their journey, this is the clarity that arises. And in that clarity, um, you you use the word proud and, you know, we could dissect that, but I, I think it really works. In that clarity, we will become agents for restoration. We will become agents for, you know, what what the planet's health actually is calling for. And it might be controversial or paradoxical to a degree, but you know, this is part of the timeline we're living in: is to like reconcile um, the crazy world we grew up in and act from our own kind of nature impulse or our own, you know, source connection or our own heart or whatever we want to call it. You know, it's. And and then we follow those paths and these paths lead us to all kinds of different places. But it's funny because it anyone who's really feeling this, anyone who's been doing this for years, they'll probably be nodding their heads right now because it's like, yeah, that's literally how it feels, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I you know, I've so many opportunities to meet amazing people that I'm just so fortunate to. The people working in this space is often people that are, you know extremely overworked are extremely passionate you know running on shoestring budgets haven't paid themselves in months years like all the things that kind of you get from maybe a more standard entrepreneur but it's people that are not passionate about making millions of dollars that are like really excited about restoring ecosystems and so to anyone who's listening to this who's been on a journey in this that can resonate just keep up the good work it's you know, it, it sucks at times. It's really hard. It's you get burnt out and everything, but you know, I just I want to encourage other people out there that are um, tired along this journey as well, that, you know, this is what is going to matter eventually, you know, what, maybe that's 10 years for you. Maybe that's two months, whatever that may be like, it, it's going to pay off and it's going to be, it's going to be worthwhile in the future. Thank you both for the work you're doing and thanks for being on Green Planet Blue Planet again. Thanks, Julian. Very nice to be reconnect. I appreciate your time. Thank you.